You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Cybersecurity Podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders, both in the UK and US. My name is Dave Loder, and I connect businesses with top technical talent, both in the UK and the US. And today, I am your host. So the conversation of today's podcast is the need for increased visibility in OT security. And I'm really excited to be uh, joined by such an esteemed panel of cybersecurity experts from some of the leading cybersecurity companies in the US. So these are Danielle Javlansky, Chris Sistrunk, and Mike Hoffman. So um, if you, Danielle, if you'd be so kind as to kind of kick us off with a bit of an introduction to yourself, who you are, in case our listeners don't already know who you are. Sure, thanks, David. Uh, my name is Daniel Jablanski. I currently serve as an OT cybersecurity strategist for the company Nozomi Networks. I'm also a non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council, where I focus on prioritizing risk to critical infrastructure. I'm really happy to be here, not only with my friends, Chris and Mike, for this conversation, but also for uh, a medium that's kind of outside of the norm for us. So I'm happy that you know folks are more interested in OT cybersecurity, that they want to listen in, and hopefully we give them something to chew on today. So thanks, Dave. Pleasure. And um, over to yourself, Chris. Hey, thanks. Uh, my name is Chris Sistrunk. I'm a technical manager with Mandiant ICS Security Consulting. Been working with Mandiant almost about nine years. And before that, I was electrical engineer for a power company called Entergy, uh, about 12 years experience there. So 20 years doing you know, power, SCADA, and now cybersecurity. And glad to be here. Fantastic. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, Mike. Yeah, thanks, David. And uh, yeah, just a blessing to be here. Um, all the friends, uh, Danielle and Chris. Yeah, so Mike Hoffman, Principal Industrial Consultant with Dragos. Um, so been with them almost two years now. Um, formerly, I uh, kind of worked up through the uh, different job roles uh, between uh, technician into controls and automation into global security with Shell. So I was with that company for 20 some years. And so just, uh, again, now focusing uh, predominantly on OT security with Dragos um, and helping customers out and so forth. So uh, just, uh, again, blessing to be part of this podcast. Thanks. Fantastic. Thank you. And uh, once again, welcome and thank you for giving me your time so generous, generously today, all of you. Um, so with introductions out of the way, um, I'd like to kind of kick things off. I know Danielle mentioned there that we're doing something a little bit different today. So to give you an idea, I'm going to take a back seat here and we're just going to let the conversation flow pretty organically. Um, but I would like to kick things off, um, first of all, by just asking for for our listeners who don't know, uh, what is OT security and what do we mean by that? I can take that. Uh, OT security, operational technology, that is a umbrella term for anything that might affect processes or industrial or you know automation in the real world so there's a uh, you might have heard of internet of things or SCADA or distributed control systems you you have some form of this type of technology everywhere you look whether it's a elevator escalators to building automation to water power oil and gas, mining, you name it, transportation. Uh, OT is the umbrella term uh, for that covers all of that. And, and kind of take on what Chris has mentioned there around OT. So a lot of it is to the mission of the system. Um, oftentimes we, we see a lot of OT you know, when you walk into these systems where you know, you're, it's doing some sort of a uh, critical operation and maybe water, like Chris had mentioned, uh, different industries, water, wastewater, uh, chemical refining. Um, you know, you kind of name that that process industry, food and beverage, uh, your favorite, uh, you know, Coca-Cola drink or whatever, uh, that, whatever that that is out there is being made by uh, OT systems. And so nevertheless, it, it's a lot of times, though, when we, you know, people coming from the IT side or so forth, they see these systems, they look very, very similar often but to an IT system, but it's the actual mission of what that system is doing. It's doing some sort of a physical interaction. It, it's manipulating processes. It's doing something to a physical type device. And so oftentimes, again, these systems look somewhat similar to IT, but what they're actually doing is fundamentally different. Yeah, and I'll just add that it's kind of ironic, like once a product kind of leaves a, a manufacturer or a vendor, people assume that it just kind of exists statically, and that's no longer the case. So you hear of OEMs, they produce all of these pumps 
compressors, valves, turbines, and all this equipment that we use. And that's what we think of as operational technology. And the last thing I'll add on to Chris and Mike's comments is that these systems are designed with a mission state in mind, and they're made to be kind of continually operational. Um, and then they've been overlaid with some digital components that help to control them potentially at scale or remotely. And those digital components are what we work to secure every day. So it's just kind of ironic to me that sometimes they like leave the factory where they're created. They go into these um, end use cases, like we've mentioned food and beverage or you know everything that you'd think of even in, in an amusement park that kind of moves and, and pumps and, and turns. Um, and we kind of forget about them then as, as connected systems in the real world. So. Um, so to make it conversational, I kind of want to jump in because now in the OT cybersecurity conversation, the word you see top of mind left and right, and, and I see it all day every day, is visibility. And even at Nozomi Networks, we go back and forth with what do we mean by visibility and what do we mean by continuous monitoring and which one kind of fits the bill depending on kind of like customer needs. Chris, I know you're really close to a lot of um, kind of live fire crises. And Mike, you're you're in the weeds, kind of helping to consult with folks daily. You know, what do you need? How much do you need? How do you scope these problems? I would love to hear both of your input on, you know, what does that mean to you? And then maybe I'll jump in with some of the stuff that we struggle with in in our world. Yeah, thanks, Danielle. Uh, about visibility for control systems, um, it's something that engineers and technicians already understand um, because they have to monitor temperature and pressure. Uh, and that's one type of visibility, right? You're wanting the visibility of the the state of the process that you're monitoring or maintaining or, you know, working with. But now we have more connectivity between these systems and, let's say, networks. And so now we have cybersecurity involved. So uh, we weren't taught. At least I, I don't know about you, Mike, but I wasn't taught cybersecurity in college when I was learning about uh, control systems or electrical engineering. And so when we talked about visibility, we only talked about it from visibility of the process. Now we're talking about visibility, cybersecurity visibility. OK, and now that goes well. Engineers, when we talk to them, they understand visibility. Now they go, OK, now I understand that we're talking about something that's new, something that's, uh, you know, we're having to deal with, especially in pandemic, a lot of remote connectivity, uh, increased business connectivity, uh, a lot of IT components uh, and all this stuff. Now, traditionally, we didn't have a whole lot of visibility on the security side, right? And I'll let, you know, Mike jump in um, to continue this. Yeah, no, that's a great point, and, and I really appreciate you bringing up the fact of um, within OT, you know, like you said, we, we've uh, we've had visibility for years and years and years. Um, historians, uh, when you walk into any of these larger control rooms from the electrical side, from you know uh, chemical processing industries, you look at trends and, and you you see uh, you know room full of trends and, and different displays, and and that's the the eyes and the ears essentially for these operators, uh, seeing and understanding their systems and plants. Um, so from the network side, the, the visibility. So when we often talk about visibility these days, um, there, there's two, I, I say there's really two forms from a security side. Uh, and then of course there's more, but um, normally there's within the device and then there's what the device is connected to or on the network. So visibility, um, you can kind of split them between those two large buckets, if you will. So visibility within the network how the network is operating, what devices are talking to each other. So being able to see that, to understand that, uh, to understand you know, what systems have communication to others and maybe where they shouldn't. Um, and then also within the device. So these are logs, these are uh, different things that are generated. So every time that we interact with our, you know, our business laptops or, or, or you know, systems in the OT environment, um, most of the devices are going to create some sort of a log. Now we can get into deeper uh, discussions and on what devices do generate logs and because some actually don't. Um, the, the lower level devices that are actually manipulating the physical systems, um, many of those still don't uh, do very good logging. But nevertheless, fundamentally visibility from a security and an OT perspective is looking at logging and it's looking at network monitoring. Um, from the network side, of course, you know, there's a couple different ways of doing that, and I'm sure we can kind of get into that in a little bit more detail here. Yeah. 
so security visibility is really like almost like illuminating a dark place in terms of the communications network that people haven't really looked at potentially for a number of years or maybe kind of logged statically again on like a, an Excel spread somewhere when they configured the network and set it up. Um, but what I like to tell people is that you know you kind of hear this parroted phrase in OT cybersecurity that you can't protect what you can't see. Um, but you also kind of need necessary visibility into the day-to-day -day functionality of things to investigate really anything. So, you know, we always call that root cause analysis. Root cause once, analysis. Yeah, once yeah. you start to talk about like any mishap or accident or even some of the like scope and mission creep of your actual, you know, systems in your environment, then that word visibility starts to take on a new meaning, right? So you start with network status, maybe, you know, an inventory, an inventory or a network map of what you have connected. And then you start to think about, wow, you know, now I can illuminate again all these potential vulnerabilities within my system, whether that's a configuration issue, whether it's you know hunting for some type of of known signature um, that could be malicious, or if it's just kind of going and looking at you know what firmware updates we have, how old are they, are they outdated, things like that. And um, you know I don't think I like to say you know no no two vulnerabilities are created equal, um, so that gets a little bit more into the the visibility aspect of things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've got a war story. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've had to help solve a problem uh, because there was a SCADA misconfiguration of some kind, and there's a lot of finger pointing going on. And one group would say, "Oh, it's this," and they go, "No, it's the substation was configured wrong." And they'll go, "No, we configured it right. Uh, your, uh, your, your client, your." Uh, uh, software is configured wrong, right? And so we go, okay, let's end this. We're going to go send people out to the substation to grab a packet capture, and we're going to look at the raw data, and then we're going to solve the problem. And that's part of root cause analysis. You solve the problem, and you're using network visibility like using Wireshark and a hub. I even bought, went out and bought a port port uh netgear hub that they don't even sell anymore uh to get some of that network visibility uh to to help troubleshoot even did this with serial you can you know uh use a uh, serial uh test sets uh that look at the SCADA data that's going across the wire looking at a protocol like modbus or dmp3 to tell what's going on and use it as an operational troubleshooting tool because more than the threats, more than vulnerabilities, you're going to have honest mistakes. You're going to have people making misconfigurations. Uh, and you can use that same network visibility tools like on the host or endpoint, like Mike talked about. That's one of the two buckets. We're looking in the logs. What's the event log? What's the user log tell you? Because a PLC might have that. Um, just in you, you log in with your serial cable, log, log in, and it's only maybe got 255 uh slots in the memory to have these errors and so one of the troubleshooting steps that almost every technician or uh, engineer has to do is go look through these logs that's there and then if we don't have any um idea what's from from the logs we have to look on the network like you're grabbing a packet capture grabbing that serial data dump right so uh, it, a lot of the things that danielle just mentioned all the cybersecurity advantages is also an operational advantage too like knowing what's on your network can troubleshoot uh issues right yeah and, and just to kind of go along with that um when i really got into um you know th th this whole idea of visibility and the importance of it what really happened to hit home was a number of years ago one of my roles was uh you know being an ot security focal point at a, a refinery and so there were a couple of times, of course, where, you know, we were hearing of, of different types of adversarial type uh, actions going against different you know, nation state type of kind of things. So security, um, it's 2000, you know, Ukraine uh, attacks had just happened. These are the 2015, 2016 attacks and so forth. And so everybody was beginning to think, wow, we really need to understand, you know, first of all, what is actually going on in our networks and what is going on in these critical environments. Um, and, and I remember there were a couple of occasions where I was troubleshooting some OPC connections, uh, different protocols that are used to talk to different systems. And, um, and nevertheless, so, you know, we were seeing some very odd behaviors uh, going on within the network. And at the time, of course, we, you know, the, the, the tooling out there to be able to look into your networks, other than Chris mentioned Wireshark, it just wasn't available. Um, so, 
So there were some rudimentary ways that we could begin to detect what was going on. Um, and it come to find out it was uh, configuration errors um, that were causing this. But some of our, our servers were tripping uh, over some of the applications, uh, the services, I should say, within the server, DCS servers. Um, and, and nevertheless, so it really kind of Kind of be, kind of got me down this this process of we really need to um, understand our systems better, and and so by um, you know being able to you know put tooling capabilities in place to know what what systems are talking to each other um, is is really a, from a troubleshooting perspective from those kind of things it's it's one of those areas where you start first, um, and one of the things you know when people would often say what are the things that keep you up at night. It was it was not being able to answer that question. Am I compromised, or you know, is is my systems are my systems operating as they should, um, or as they were been engineered for? And and without visibility, it's really really hard to you know to answer that question. Um, am, am I compromised or not? No, that's so, a great. Uh, oh, yeah. sorry to interrupt, Mike. No, that's a great question. Uh, am I compromised or not? Well, we've had instances where someone called us and an attack happened and they didn't have any logs at all and it was almost like a destructive malware um or ransomware and their whole network was destroyed it was a small system and we asked them do you have any logs and they go no i said all we can do is help you rebuild your network yeah. you know yeah. at that point right and so if we go back and look i, I love analogies if we go back and look incidents in the past we look at bad things that happen and it helps us kind of prepare what's coming next it's like for cybersecurity. if we look at the 2003 blackout forensically we didn't have enough data to tell exactly what happened i mean we had some ideas but they were saying well we don't have enough visibility on what happened on the power system you know there wasn't enough data collected to help us put together the puzzle that was broken. And we go, okay, now there's some cybersecurity regulations. Like I'll talk about one NERC SIP uh, in the United States. That's uh, a, a government regulation against power companies, uh, the large ones to help regulate and improve cybersecurity. And they have some minimum things like what to monitor, what to log, how long to retain the logs, say like 90 days is the minimum requirement. Um, but we've been in some uh, doing an incident response. We saw that an attacker might be in a, someone's network for 250 days, and your logs don't go back that far. Yeah, you know something. Like, there, there's a lot of um, things that have to happen. So I'm I'm not saying that something bad has to happen before we get better at forensics and having those logs and having that visibility. But that's has been a challenge, and a, a lot of the things that we've seen help be it successful enable more visibility is hey it helps with your operations yeah that lack of being able to investigate and lack of ability to hunt we also saw more recently with like logforge right am i compromised is it here a large kind of software supply chain type issue well if you don't have the ability to go back through your you know digital filing cabinet at that point for your security logs then you really don't know you can't you can't really help in that sense um you know you can build out some detections like the companies that mike and i work for do um, but if you have nothing to compare that against, right? No baseline, no no ability to go and, and investigate, you know, uh, forensically, like Chris said, then you're kind of left uh, to rebuild from scratch often. And that's really expensive, right? That remediation process is really expensive. It involves a lot of third parties. Um, and then sometimes it then kind of results in building with security by design, which is actually a good thing, right? So then going forward, you're really considering you know, the best steps you can take in terms of segmentation and setting up that network to not be compromised in the future. But what strikes me as really interesting is there's this kind of dichotomy, I think, between focusing on vulnerabilities and kind of just scanning your networks for known vulnerabilities or focusing on remediating product vulnerabilities versus those kinds of nation state, high level threat actor situations. And, and I think um, there's so much in between that really gets missed on that spectrum between the two. I would love to hear from both Chris and Mike with your, you know, your field experience. I see folks, you know, maybe focusing on vulnerabilities where the CVSS score seems really severe, but once they look in their environment, the impact to the overall risk is really not that big of a deal. Um, or I see kind of companies focusing on, well, I want to defend against capability X, 
when it might not actually have that much relevance for their operations. Um, what do y'all think about that? Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question because oftentimes I see, um, you know, people in this is kind of like applying a more or less an IT playbook to OT, where from the IT side, of course, you have your your systems that are normally you know more exposed, if you will. Uh, if if your OT environments are architected properly, there's there's boundary protections and those kind of things around it. But but chasing after vulnerabilities is kind of um, it's kind of a losing uh, scenario within the OT environment. First of all, because you can't remediate a lot of these vulnerabilities um, as 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 quickly within the IT side. Um, you know, we were talking earlier within the podcast about you know how long these environments run. Uh, and some plants I've been in, uh, we you know some of our our systems ran for over six years between shutdowns or between maintenance uh, periods. So, so certain parts and pieces of that of that system you could not touch in a six-year cycle. Um, so thinking about, you know, here there's this high vulnerability that just came out. What do we do? Well, you you mitigate through different means. You can't go and and update the firmware on this device. And and then when you take a step back, should you even update that firmware? And the reason why I bring that up is because. Normally, um, you know, when when these OT environments are architected out, there are different, if you will, um, levels or or different um, what we would call like a zone and conduit. It's essentially different ways of of chopping up the environment, segmenting that environment up. So you have different levels of trust. Um, you kind of think on your enterprise side where you'd have a your enterprise networks. You may even segment off your servers. You may segment, of course, off of a uh, corporate and internet facing uh, DMZ. So you you even do this within the enterprise side, different segmentation, different uh, constraints, and and uh, you know things like that. And the OT side we do it as well. And so what that means is that you can have areas where uh, you have more connectivity to the outside world, and then areas of much less. So the the closer you get down to the the you know the transmission lines, um, your your pipes, your pumps, and those kind of things, those devices. Um, are going to be ones that you can't patch as, as regular because they're actually running that system, and also they're further away from external connectivity. Uh, the closer, of course, you get to this ITOT boundary, those devices are ones that you really need to be thinking about from a vulnerability perspective. And those are the ones you need to be actually patching more often, but you can also patch those more often because they're not actually affecting the plant floors and, and those, those things. So looking at vulnerabilities on where they're at, um, within the site, so the context around that device, what that device is doing, um, is very, very important. And then also looking again about, um, you know, some a lot of the vulnerabilities are out there. You know, talk about well, you also already have to be authenticated to carry this thing out. Well, um, a lot of these systems are actually designed to function uh, in a certain way. People will will often use the phrase um, insecure by design, um, and and that's. Partly true, partly not. These devices are engineered to run a, a, a system. Um, the way they do that is is they rely on trust of other devices and so forth. So OT, a lot of systems trust each other very uh, you know, high high trust, which makes them a little bit insecure um, when you get down to the lower lower systems. But um, so so as you look at the vulnerabilities, un, trying to understand where they're at within the, that environment, understand the context of them. Uh, the remote connections and those kind of things. And then what Daniel said was around looking at, um, you know, different, um, you know, what what are uh, what are we seeing within the environment from certain types of attack pathways, uh, ransomware, if you will, all these kind of things, and actually going after how does that happen? How have we seen this exploit work or these threat uh, actors work? Um, where are they exploiting? How is this getting in? And then focusing on those areas for vulnerability remediation. So maybe Chris, you have yeah, something to add there. Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of you know, things to track with vulnerabilities, and it can be overwhelming. How how do we boil this down to keep it simple? It's like, well, I, th I think one of the things that has been helpful with folks that I've dealt with in this space in IT, OT, cybersecurity, like teams at companies that, okay, what, how do we get our heads around this problem? Um, what's our main entry point into a control system? Is it through, like you mentioned before, a DMZ? 
Well, those are going to be more exposed than, say, a PLC out in the middle of nowhere that's uh, serially connected, uh, right? It's not not just anybody can go Google this and find it, right? Um, so these in, what we call ingress-egress points into the control system part of the network. And so that's either coming through, you know, a demilitarized zone or it could come through uh, even something like a dual-homed machine, right? Uh, we see that a lot. Uh, those exposed, uh, that those systems that are connected to the control system, those are the higher priority, and you need to have visibility on those. If you've got Windows XP, for instance, that's your gateway into control systems, which I've found many, many times, um, those are going to have known vulnerabilities that anybody can use against them whether they're a malicious attacker or, you know, it can be someone that's a, 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 a teenager that's learning how to hack, right? Um, and so uh, getting your head around what's vulnerable and more exposed, what's more exposed for your control system access, um, that's something that you need to have visibility on and focus on. So maybe this will lead into my next question. It's like, hey, Chris, I just want to get an idea on what OT visibility is and how important is it. So how do I get started? If uh, I can ask Daniel or Mike, uh, where would you start if you wanted to get visibility uh, or start with this conversation at your place of employment if you're responsible for this? Mike and I are, you know, I think well adapted at this question. I think we get it often. <laughs> the industry kind of standard is to start with something called crown jewel analysis, which I know you both have heard many, many times. But I actually pull that back even one further step and say, you know, I come from nuclear weapons policy background in terms of cybersecurity and, and vulnerabilities, which is obviously an air gap system. But what we used to talk about in that kind of weapons management space was focusing on um, effects based rather than means based scenarios. And so kind of before when I was talking about that spectrum of, well, how do we kind of just roadmap all these vulnerabilities and patch everything we can patch versus focusing on nation state capabilities, um, focus on the worst case scenario you could possibly think that could happen in your environment and map how that could occur from a, a digital or cybersecurity type scenario. So that's effects-based rather than means-based thinking. Um, it's a strategy for bringing together your teams and stakeholders where everyone can kind of speak a similar language, right? You know, we want to keep power on. How do we do that? How do we, yeah. you know, what do we know can disrupt that? And then mm -hmm. once you go through that exercise of effects-based rather than means-based scenario planning, then you can start to identify your crown jewels. From then you would go to what we call an asset inventory where you're mapping out that network status. But uh, back to, you know, talking about visibility versus monitoring, just creating kind of a network diagram might offer like a high level map of potentially static configurations, but that lacks the ability for continually monitoring traffic and time stamps for that network or the data that changes on your network. So um, if you're not actively monitoring in real time, which, you know, David kind of asked us about before we started recording, then the status is really unknown for each of those assets. Um, and whether or not they have those vulnerabilities or they can be protected is then kind of null because your real time data isn't up to date. Um, and so you can't, you know, go through that entire exercise of understanding the effects based versus the means based scenarios and then say, great, let's take a picture of the network right now or, you know, how we thought it was configured or what we our known knowns were and say, great, we did a good job. You have to then say, well, how do we make this more robust? How do we plan over time to, to mitigate for these potential scenarios, understanding all of those different aspects of, you know, constant the constant um, update of known vulnerabilities and the kind of constant dynamic flow of nation state capabilities. Danielle, you're so smart. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that term before, effects space and mean space. Are you talking about like a threat model, doing a threat model against uh, your network? Yeah, exactly. So the, okay. focusing on the effect, um, it's also, it goes back to, to a lot of like uh, military policy. Uh, okay, so yeah, I'm work, not a military person. So that's, um, I'm like... <laughs> It's, I, uh, it's, it's kind of like this the cyber equivalent of proportionality. Um, you know, if if you use a bomb and it causes an effect, then in international law, you focus on the effect where civilians impacted. It, you don't focus okay. on was a bomb used. And so the right. same thing kind of applies here. You wouldn't focus on, you know, was this specific malware used? Then it requires this kind of response because it's not a military engagement. 
you would focus on what was the effect caused in my environment or what was what could be the potential effect caused in my environment and how do I, no matter what the vulnerability and no matter what the nation state capability, protect against that type of effect in my environment. And the best part about that is, is what I said was you can all speak the same language in that sense. It doesn't matter what background you come from if you're kind of rallying around that similar, well, let's let's prevent that from happening. Yeah, so accident prevention, I'll, I'll let Mike talk. It's like safety tailboard, like a job safety analysis, job hazard analysis. It's risk analysis. You're really looking at what's vulnerable, what's exposed, how exploitable is this? And could someone Google this, how to attack this and get into it? Um, so Mike, any thoughts? Uh, if you were going to start with your visibility journey, uh, what would you or what, what would you advise uh, people to where if they're going to start? Because you can't boil the ocean. You got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, this is a fantastic question. And, and it is one that I get asked all the time uh, as a consultant working with different customers and clients. And, and so there's a couple, of course, different ways you can approach it. And, and so one is kind of like you were talking about, you know, around looking at those effects base, uh, understanding what is the more, most important things within your environment, kind of mapping that out. I, I think another good way of doing it, though, as well is, so lately I've um, been running a lot of tabletop engagements, um, you know, for different folks. And, and be, being able to come up with different scenarios and scenarios that are actually, which, which actually, again, occurred within the different industries. So each industry has different threats. Uh, they have different, uh, you know, threat actors going with them. They have different uh, areas where they need to be concerned about, uh, different type of operational constraints and so forth. We, we already see, and, and, and again, when you think about, you know, risk and those kind of things, um, you know, when you bring up that discussion, a lot of people will talk about the likelihood and, that's an area where it, you know there's a there can be a whole lot of chatter uh, back and forth around likelihood discussion, but we do know and we have um, a lot of good information around those type of events that have occurred. I mentioned Ukraine from the electrical side, 2015, 2016 attacks on Ukraine. We've seen you know attacks to a pipeline ransomware. We've seen safety systems and oil and gas uh, triconics type systems being uh, you know attacked. We, we've so we've seen these type of things being played out, and of course, lately it's been ransomware, a lot of ransomware, and it's not just targeted against OT per se, but it, but it is ransomware that um, it can easily move past those those boundaries. So when you bring up these scenarios for the different industries, I think it's very very helpful to go play that out. So even within a tabletop, play it out, and as you're playing out that scenario, go could we detect this, and where. Mm -hmm. And, and if you can't and if you can't answer that, then that's kind of where you need to be thinking about. And so oftentimes when you talk about where, we, where do we begin? Um, most most of the attacks, unless we're talking about and, and I'll bring up the word, you can uh, you can throw something at me, but Stuxnet, right? Stuxnet was that attack that, that came across um, and it was not a attack from IT to OT, if you will. Most of the, uh, the attacks that we see, do come eventually come through the corporate side and move down. So if you think about it from a visibility perspective, where do we begin? Normally it's that what we'd call north-south traffic. So it's, it's being able to detect those communication flows between your corporate side or business side and your OT side. And then for, so from there, that, that's normally an easy spot. That's a choke point, a natural choke point in your network where that communication is flowing. And not all industries have a, a, a very good choke point. So if you're nuclear, this is probably not a good spot to monitor because you don't have that traffic or it's it's you know um, it's directional. You're going through a gateway and so forth, um, unidirectional gateway. But but in a lot of industries, that's that's you know understanding that that um, that footprint of that communication flow between IT and OT because that's normally how adversaries get in. That's how ransomware pops over. That's that's that, that spot. Once you've identified that within that scenario that you're kind of playing out, it's that next system down. It's now can, where can we detect those communications between, um, you know, operator stations and out to, you know, endpoints or where we can detect from, you know, um, you know, different, you know, mentioned programmable logic controllers, um, key key systems when you're within your environment that are maybe the crown jewel, that if, if that thing goes down, your plant or process or system will fail or will go down. And so being able to map that out and understand that flow. At the end of the day though, like you were saying, it is like impossible 
to, or it's not impossible, but from a, um, you know, trying to get this, what we would say 100% visibility, um, that is very hard to do. Um, you can get um, good visibility, but getting visibility everywhere is probably not the right goal. It's kind of like monitoring all the logs. Um, you need to monitor the logs for the certain use case that you're looking for, but just monitoring all traffic to monitor traffic is not a good use case. Um, but, but certainly being able to look at these type of uh, activities and map those back and, and, and being able to answer that, could I detect this? And if not, then that's probably where I need to be you know, looking at gaining that visibility as a first yeah. step. Yeah, starting small, right? And then, then, then get a program around that. Yeah. Mike oh, started excellent. big though with the Stuxnet example. I mean, Stuxnet is, is what got me into our, cybersecurity yeah, for yeah. control it's what systems. That's the nuclear cyber, so it, yeah. it worked. Um, but, but with Stuxnet, so it, that was that that jump in the air gap. It was a you know, USB or whatever. So there's always a different path, not just this ITOT boundary. Well, there's, it's a laptop. That's yeah. IT. Exactly. Yeah. You, you brought up something really important oh, yeah. though, which I don't think people expand on enough in our field, which is the difference between detections for known scenarios and things we've seen in the past versus being able to detect on behavior we <laughs> know is anomalous in that environment, given our understanding of how the processes should function. It's something I think even myself, I've done a poor job in the past being able to um, really kind of dissect for folks, but you know, there is a clear distinction of what we've seen before and being able to understand like pattern recognition and analysis and some of the AI and ML that we're applying every day to see, well, you know, something is off here, um, but we know that it's a unidirectional, you know, flow. So we can go look there, but it might not be something like to, to quote you, Mike, that we know we can detect on, but we know we can look for patterns where we should investigate more. And that's really kind of the direction I think this entire field is really going, which is amazing. But then it, you get caught up back to the Stuxnet example and well, what's the difference between a perfect storm, right? And the perfect puzzle. And so a perfect storm is one in which an OT scenario potentially has, even a malicious one has a, a, you know, an intent and a scope, and then it kind of unravels, kind of like Stuxnet did. And uh, it, gets, it gets out of scope and um, you get found out, quote unquote, or, or kind of ruins the intention. But the perfect storm would be one in which cascading kind of failures or cascading impacts really hit a population or a civilian location. And this is what kind of scares people. But then the perfect puzzle is an attack like in controller or pipe dream for, for Mike that um, was the perfect puzzle. You know, somebody really put together the steps and the, and the you know, perfect kind of one-to-one -one of how I would go after this one environment to cause the changes that I want to see um, in my scope. And so I think that's what worries people. And, and it, it gets really difficult to then cover both of those grounds at all times. Like you said, 100% visibility all the time to kind of known past detections and current and future you know, patterns and behaviors. Um, but my question is, coming back to that, you see the media really picking up on this and they want to understand what are those consequences? What are those cascading impacts that we could potentially see? And how do we not kind of run off the rails with all of those, but then wrap our heads around them? And you'll see um, screenshots, right, of, of different SCADA systems and control logic. And you're like, wow, they had all the access in the world. And we have to kind of pull them back and say, no, you know, unidirectional means this. And that screenshot of a, of a mimic could be that. And I just wonder how you both kind of wrap your heads around that exchange uh, and, and helping to kind of illuminate, um, you know, how, how folks really think about this field and where they can narrow their efforts in instead of boiling the ocean. Yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, you know, being aware of the threats that are out there and there's, there's different ways uh, of getting that type of information, but I, I like to try to boil it down to where finding a win that doesn't matter the type of threat, whether is it uh, a nation state, APT group, or is it an honest mistake at five o'clock on Friday? Because someone, oops, I deleted this, and then it, or, or I pushed a firewall config, and it rolled out to all the firewalls that we had. Oops. Um, <laughs> a lot Oops. of that goes, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can tell you that scenario, an honest mistake or an accident, is going to be more of a threat than anything else. Now, all the, I'm not going to dismiss the Stuxnets, the end controllers, all this other stuff. Um, what gets the win is getting the tools, the visibility uh, for forensics, right? Where we're going to do root cause analysis. 
Uh, one time we had a customer that uh, had a, a like a it was a warehouse that was automated and it had a conveyor belt system and high it was all high speed and they were having problems with uh, something causing the whole thing to shut down and they thought it was malicious. They found out there was a a switch or something that was failing and we looked in the network packets. And when I was able to see, oh, this has got too many TCP retransmissions. I know this is very technical, but we were able to use the tool that they had bought for looking at cybersecurity and use it for that operation. So that's that's a win there. Um, so looking at those key points of entry, those key areas of where I want to have that visibility, knowing what your vulnerabilities are that can be exploited knowing what threats may be there, including honest mistakes. Uh, and then also, too, there's a concept we haven't really t talked about. Uh, I know we've got a little bit of time left, uh, and I, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds about it, but it's called tuning. So you go buy this box from whatever solution that's out there. I mean, there's two here on the call, but uh, you can't just buy it and then just put it in and then let it be. You have to tune it just like you tune the control system alerts. Uh, cyber like cybersecurity has to be managed and maintained and designed. Engineering like has to be engineered just like the control system has to be engineered, and there has to be a philosophy around how you manage that. And if you don't, you're going to miss. You're going to get so many alerts that you're going to not know what to do. So having that philosophy is going to be important as well as getting the right visibility from the start. I'm glad you called it a philosophy. Uh, it has to be. Yeah, there's a lot of buy-in required um, for the, the tuning phase. And, and I think, you know, we, and the Zomi, we call it professional services. I'm, I'm sure Dragos calls it something else, but we spend an, an enormous amount of time. We call ourselves customer obsessed, helping with that alert kind of fatigue, right? We want to get over that, but also not missing anything. And so how do you get that right? Um, it's kind of a continuous conversation. I'll let Mike chime in just because. Yeah, yeah, no, this has been good. And I, so a couple of things kind of went through my mind as Chris was talking, um, but but I want to kind of touch on the last point. And I think as, as we're beginning to wrap up time here on the podcast, what, but but around actually, and, and we would call it like an operate, operationalized, and, and you were kind of, you know, talked to it as well with tuning. It's, it's, it's so, so we've, we've been talking about getting visibility, um, you know, kind of the last question, Danielle, around, um, you know, where, um, you know, you know how, how do we not boil the ocean, essentially, and, and how do we not, um, you know, how do we bring this back down to something actionable that the owners and operators can do? And, and so I think it is, it is um, you know, bringing all this back into context, and, and it's, it's, it's giving people small wins, as Chris said, um, and looking for areas where we can begin to d detect it at, at certain points within our network, bringing that visibility back. But once we've had that, once we've bought the tool, we've put it in place, again, it's that operate, operationalize it. It's how do we put in workflows and how do we um, you know, actually use that data? Um, it's a, it, this is very, very similar to, again, when, when we talk about visibility from the host perspective, uh, when we start to get those logs to flow into our SIM, that our SOC is being used, and we can get into, that's another discussion, ITOT SOC and all those kind of things. But, but what do we do once we have this data? Um, so oftentimes I've seen a lot of good um, initiatives, you know, it kind of after a while, um, when people begin to forget about it, they go on with their day jobs, it begins to get electronic dust and, and this, our tools sit. And so it, it's actually using this and putting it into proceduralizing it, um, you know, having, making sure that our, this data and the alerts that are being generated off of it are being looked at, are being considered, are being actioned. And when you think about OT and what's different uh, with actioning with the visibility, and this is that monitoring perspective. So we didn't touch on it a whole lot, but monitoring is really that, that you're, it's purposeful. It's not just getting information from a visibility perspective. It's purposefully looking at your network. If you do see something within there, it's 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 responding to it. Oftentimes, a SOC analyst and so forth, they they can't action that response, so they have to get a hold of somebody at a plant, get a hold of some technician or automation engineer, and and or or hopefully they have a OT uh, staff at site if it's a larger site. But, but it's, it's getting all these workflows and processes in place to now we can use this tool, 
holistically to monitor, detect, to respond, um, and, and then to you know help that remediation process in the event of an incident that actually occurs. So yeah, we we call them playbooks, but that's such a good point. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And also, I'm sure you both have heard in industrial environments. Again, like you said, Mike, putting a bunch of data, even if it's security data, in one new central place is not useful, right? Congratulations, you put it all in one place. Yeah. Um, these environments are known to be data rich and information poor. And so providing information, actionable intelligence, playbooks, workflows, et cetera, that's really the creme de la creme of the solution, right? It's not just saying, check, we've done that. Um, and so that's a really great perspective to end on. I also want to help out, you know, for those who have continued to listen through this, um, another thing that, that Chris said that was a little more technical that I wanted to unpack for folks is serial communications. Serial communications are communications that are bit by bit um, sent sequentially over time versus a large kind of packet transfer all at once. Um, and that's really a, a primary use case in, in industry. Yeah, 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 right? Exactly. That's what a lot of people that might be new to OT are like serial. <laughs> What does that mean? And so I wanted to, to point that out because PLCs are kind of top of mind in the media. Serial is the most important meal of the day. <laughs> I had to get in a digit. That's good. That's good. Maybe I'll go have some. Um, I think I think that's pretty much all of our time today. Mike and Chris, it was so great to see you guys. Um, thanks for being here with us. And I'll turn it back. Well, maybe you guys want to say thanks and then we'll turn it back to Dave. Thanks. <laughs> and I like all that. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Uh, great to, to be with friends again and to discuss uh, OT visibility. It's an awesome topic in uh, this day and age. So thanks. Yeah, well, thank you um, once again to all of you for contributing. And I think um, it's been quite insightful for me kind of sitting back um and listening to you all um as opposed to the, the the usual kind of format i go through um i did have well i had a couple of questions and i think given given the sort of the time and i understand you guys have been speaking for quite a while so i try to bundle it together um in, into one question i think it'll be interesting to get your different kind of perspectives on this do you think companies appreciate and recognize their need for um increasing visibility and then off the back of that do you think the increase in visibility is leading to significant kind of improvements in instant response and it is making improvements in how they are responding to these cyber threats or cyber attacks i can go um first with about this about visibility and importance of it uh you know a lot of times to be honest to be really frank uh if there's someone that doesn't have visibility uh, visibility today, um, they're not going to get it until something bad happens. So ransomware has caused a lot more visibility to happen and a lot more other, other cybersecurity mitigations like segmentation, backups, all these other things we didn't even talk about. Um, you know, something bad happens, the checkbook has to open and say, yeah, we've got to spend some more time uh, on cybersecurity you know, in general, right? And so we, we've seen that drive, be a driver and it's been helpful. It's been helpful now that there's tools out there before, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, there's no, none of it. None of this existed. None of this whole thing existed. People were just having to be a MacGyver uh, with duct tape and, you know, a Swiss army knife trying to make the best of what they have, right? So. Now that now it's a whole new world. Uh, we have tools and techniques and and policies uh, that's available to help people with this visibility issue in cybersecurity. Yeah, and, and I'll just go on along with that. Is you know uh, you know OT or ICS cybersecurity, uh, however you want to call it, uh, is be, is becoming a, a more common topic. Um, it's, it's it's up in the board level. It's it's something that that people are discussing more and more. It's in the news more. So culture, the population, everybody is becoming more aware of this. Um, and I think as they do, you know, kind of like as Chris was saying, as these different events happen and at board level discussions, it's like, are we prepared for this? Can we, you know, how do we deal with this in our in our environments? Are we um, are, are we spending the right resources, people, you know, you know, process technology around the the uh, with OT security? As those discussions are happening, this this area of visibility is coming up. But 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 in but in true, I mean, it just kind of like um, how we do things. A lot of times, is, is we we're reactionary, so um, we'll, we won't do something until we need to. A policy drops, um, or or if you know some sort of an attack happens, maybe in mid industry, 
and those level those kind of discussions begin to happen you know pointed discussions on where do we need to spend our resources time money and effort within this and i think visibility is that was one of the areas that's gaining a lot of traction on 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 the, the flip side of that on on the response side i'm not an incident responder in ot but i have helped in a couple different cases and i can absolutely say without visibility responses extremely difficult um, if not impossible to put anything, any timeline together of what actually occurred when you don't have data. Um, so being able to, um, you know, if something does occur, being able to jump in an environment, look around, if you actually have that data, you can put together, first of all, was this, um, you know, was this somebody's bad day or was, uh, you know, did somebody click on the wrong thing or was this actually a malicious type of an event? Um, you know, being able to go quickly down that chain from that response perspective and actually understanding if the adversary is still in the environment, all those things on the containment, uh, eradication, recovery phases of response, um, visibility greatly helps. So, um, yeah, from that perspective, Danielle? Yeah, I love being able to go last and learn from you guys. Um, I think what's really interesting is the conversations at the board level, like Mike uh, addressed, they used to really focus on likelihood. So a lot of these risks, even for ICS, are known risks. They've been relevant for years and years and years. There's a 2003 congressional testimony that I've actually used in a couple of um, blogs and I point back to really often, where the top five risks to industrial control systems from a cybersecurity perspective are not gone today. <laughs> they are still very relevant. The conversation used to focus on likelihood. So if that known risk existed, but you couldn't determine the likelihood, then you really a lot of decision makers didn't want to invest in remediation or kind of even um, compensating controls to address those risks because they wanted to focus on likelihood. I think the conversation has shifted from likelihood to the need for situational awareness, which is really kind of the whole topic of, of the uh, podcast today. And that's where visibility is a tool, right? So it comes down to kind of treating symptoms versus causes. We knew the symptoms for a long time. We didn't want to treat the cause. And I think now people are understanding that regardless of what the scenario is, they need situational awareness. In order to have situational awareness, they need real-time data. In order to have real-time data, they need continuous monitoring and visibility, right? And so that's really the capture that that Mike, Chris, and I work work for every single day. Fantastic. Thank you all again. And just, yeah, as I said, one one last massive thank you. I'm immensely grateful for you all giving me your time today and allowing me and hopefully um, a lot of our listeners to, to learn from you all. And um, hopefully it's, um, well, I have no doubt that it's going to create pretty meaningful content for me to put out and, as I said, share with our listeners and uh, no doubt I'm going to get absolutely flooded with questions and and feedback, which I look forward to to passing on to you all. Yeah, if anybody has any questions, I'm sure you can all reach out to us on social media. Um, I'm at Chris Sistrunk on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm sure same for. Absolutely. Cyber Snark on the Twitter and uh, just Daniel Jablanski on LinkedIn. <laughs> ICS Security Geek on uh, Twitter. And uh, yeah, you can look at my name on LinkedIn. Fantastic. And I will put them all in there. So when the podcast goes live as well, I will put those in the notes. So everyone uh, feel free to add and reach out. But as again, uh, one last thank you from me. Thanks a lot, everyone. Appreciate it. Take care.